Hey. hey. You're listening to Avid Research. Avid Research. Avid Research. An Australian STEM podcast. Where we answer the questions you never quite got around to asking. Welcome back to the show team. My name's Amelia and today we have a very cool guest on the show. She's already helped with the audio, which I hope you're appreciating right now. We have Corey, who is an audio engineer. Welcome to the show, Corey. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. I really appreciate your pointers about levels. Oh, that's all right. Um, I, I love audio. Which is good. I love the idea of loving audio, but then get distracted by 12 million other things. But I think that mm. it is an amazing medium. We'll come back to mm. that though. Hopefully starting with an easy question. What is your job? Well, um, I'm an audio engineer and, and I specialize in radio and podcasting because audio engineer audio engineering is a it's a wide church. Um, there's lots of audio engineers around. Pretty much any time that you hear sound that's been recorded or amplified or transmitted somewhere, you know, you can think, ah, oh, it's probably an audio engineer involved in that. So, you know, even like there'll be an audio engineer who sets up the, you know, the announcements at the train station, for example, or audio engineer at the concert or audio engineer who works on telephones. But in my case, it's radio and podcasting. And I thought I might dig a little bit into what um, what specifically I do. So <laughs> I don't know if this is getting into too much detail, but sound basically is uh, oscillations in pressure in a medium. So that pressure could be uh, a gas such as air or a solid such as um, a guitar string or could also be a liquid and what audio engineers do is they um, use a transducer that's a microphone we're using some some of them right now um, to convert that sound into um, electricity basically and then they can record it or reproduce it or manipulate it or transmit it so (laughs) that's more or less what I do and then also um, audio engineers uh, occasionally create sounds as well say you know by using a sine wave which they've manipulated in various ways so say uh, you know for a synth for example. So it sounds like there's a whole lot of different like audio engineer is kind of this umbrella term and there's a whole Mm. lot of different places or destinations you could go within that yeah absolutely um yeah but I uh decided on radio and podcasting well actually I started off as a broadcaster and got into audio engineering from there so yeah I I started off in radio many years ago now okay how I got into radio was I was doing a lot of campaign work around um reproductive rights in Queensland and I was um, on the women's show um, at the local radio station 4ZZZ there quite a bit and then they asked me to be a presenter. My friend was a presenter on that show. My friend had been telling me for years that I would love radio and that I should do it. Um, Anyway, I I finally did do it and I did love it, so she was right. 
yeah, and then I did all sorts of different stuff in radio, all different shows. Um, and then I came down here and I, um, so I was at a community radio station in Melbourne for a while. I did environmental reporting. That was quite interesting. But I was always interested in the sound side of it. And I was always a little bit frustrated that, um, you know, my recordings weren't of the quality that I wanted. And so at that radio station, when the opportunity came up to learn how to um, operate the outside broadcast system and also the live-to-air system. So outside broadcast is, well, that's what it sounds like, and live-to-airs is, is when the bands come in and, and play at the radio station and do a live performance. And, yeah, I jumped at that opportunity and i got to say I very, very quickly became quite obsessed with audio. And the thing that really set me off was like one day – I wondered if the way that the microphone was designed would affect how it picked up sound, which every audio engineer knows is is that yes, that's <laughs> the answer most definitely is yes. But um, I went home and I Googled all these different microphone designs, but then I didn't really understand how electricity worked and so I had to Google that. But then I had to just Google some sort of basic physics and then uh, it kind of got a bit, I kind of got a bit deep there but I just thought no I'm just going to have to just accept some of these precepts because <laughs> I'm going down a rabbit hole but I, w- I reckon since then I've been yeah pretty obsessed with audio and and it's just sort of wondrous to me actually how a microphone works and and the fact that you can you know take this sound and and do all this amazing stuff with it and I think at its core like sound is amazing anyhow when you actually think about how sound goes from whether it's you making a noise I mean even just like the vocal cords and all sort of stuff that's that's amazing but like how it then travels through mediums and that sort of stuff like that's it's applied physics and it's um the more you think about it the more kind of mind-blowing it is it's like yeah it's kind of cool Mm. and then when we when I went to audio engineering school we had to do physics you know we had to Think about how sound travels through an object or or how it bounces around a room or how it might change direction and how different frequencies are going to react differently to a you know a different kind of wall or whatever so yeah, yeah, we had to really get into it um it was good i mean I, I was in heaven i got to say at um, audio engineering school I studied um, sound production at RMIT It was a really great course, but yeah we 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 really went in deep. <laughs> And it is really useful um, knowing about, you know, the physical properties of sound if if all day you're working with sound. Well, I imagine, like, to actually be able to do your job well, you, yeah, I mean, you could kind of, like, muffle through and just sort of be like, oh, if I just kind of baffle this or whatever, I don't know what the technical term is. But do, do you think it's changed the way that you look at, say, rooms, for example, and or do you listen to rooms differently to how you did before the course? Yeah, I, I would say for sure. But what has actually deeply changed is um, how much I notice sound because as an audio engineer you're always training your ears and then you're always tuning into different sounds. And so now, for example, if I go into a really, uh, say, a, a busy restaurant that has lots of hard surfaces and it sounds really muddled, like in the past I might have just like felt a bit off but now I'm like, no, I'm finding it hard to concentrate because of all this like 
crazy echoey noise and and yeah I really yeah I just really tune into stuff like that and I've really noticed how sound can make you feel like um you know people feel good in libraries and I've got a bit of a um a theory that's because the the books are you know absorbing a lot of sound like libraries are always quiet and people whisper in them and I think that the the books the way that they <laughs> you know what they're made of and, and the way that they're that sort of a regular surface they um absorb and diffuse a lot of sound and and you know really makes for a pleasant environment whereas the you know the city where I live is so is so loud um in audio engineering school uh one of the teachers said oh well the maximum uh volume that you're allowed to have a concert in the city of Melbourne is this but actually the general sound of the midi- the city of Melbourne is is louder. <laughs> so we're kind of barraged by noise all the time in the city. And I don't think you notice until you leave the city and you wake up somewhere else and you're like, oh, I can hear birds. This, this mm. is quite different. Yeah. Well, there's a pandemic. I noticed <laughs> the first day of the of the lockdowns, this, you know, I should have measured it, you know, this, I don't know, this huge decrease in the amount of sound in the city and and then this kind of just like, I'm sorry to say this, but almost a feeling of peace from the lack of sound, even though we were all in a dreadful situation. We were. I think it's important, even when we're in dreadful situations, to acknowledge the, the good things and one of them, at least for us, was definitely being able to like cross the road safely in the city. Um and I think, yeah, just the lack of traffic and everything will have. I've always found, I, I suspect that that background noise just increases pressure on you. It's like this really weird, subtle pressure that builds up over time. I don't know. Yeah, well, it, it grabs your attention, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it's, it's like the reason that you can't turn your ears off I assume, is so that you can always detect danger. You know, even when you're sleeping, a, a loud sound will wake you up. But if you're always hearing a loud sound, maybe that's always telling your brain, you know, be alert, be alert. Especially when you've got those background noises mm. like sirens coming through every every evening and that sort of stuff. Like that's obviously designed to get your attention. One thing I wanted to talk about with audio engineering, I really love how creative it is. So it's, um, you know, it's obviously a very creative field like, People, for example, record songs and that's that's very creative work. You know, you're not – when you're in a recording studio, you're not just a technician. You're, you know, you're almost part of the creative process with the technical choices that you're making. But I work in radio and podcasts and it's pretty much the same thing. Like you're making a series of technical choices that aid in storytelling. So, yeah, yeah, I really, um, I really enjoy that aspect of it. So, for example – um uh, at the moment I've been working with a very high-end client who works in a high-end field I'm afraid I can't say anything more than that right now and make it sound so cloaks and daggers (laughs) a little bit is (laughs) and um you know they want me to get rid of every single mouth noise in the recording because they you know they, they really want it to be perfect um because that's that's the image they're putting out. That's the story that they're telling. Um, yeah, and it's it's totally fair enough. 
And then there's, you know, different things like you might use a particular um, compressor to give, you know, a tone that reminds you of, I don't know, a really quality old radio signal and that, I don't know, that gives you a certain feeling, doesn't it? Or you might use something that's very clean and clear and it sounds really modern and up-to-date. And so you're kind of adding atmosphere, but you are, you're adding atmosphere through like technical choices. Mm, mm. And then, of course, you get to do things like sound design where you're adding in music and sound effects and helping with the storytelling that way. That stuff's really fun. I really like that stuff. Yeah, that's where you get the really cool soundscape storytelling. Is that, Can we use like Radiolab as an example here? Mm, mm. Yeah, they're a great example. They really do amazing work. They do. And it's very important as a early career podcaster or storyteller not to hold yourself to the example of radio lab because you'll never get started yeah well um often I come I have clients coming to me saying oh I just want something a bit chill like radio lab and I'm like they're they're not chill there's nothing there's nothing chill if you heard some sound effect that you thought was accidental I am absolutely certain that they made a perfectly clean recording of the dialogue and added in that sound effects later (laughs) like (laughs) You know, if you're asking for Radio Lab, you're asking for a uh, a very detailed and drawn out process. But it's amazing that they, you know, that they have managed to do that. Like they they can, you know, the story that they're telling. You know, it, it just happens that all of the recordings are really high quality. But but people feel like it's chill, right? People think, oh, this is just someone driving in their car and and making a recording. And as an audio engineer, I'm like. Nah, <laughs> but it's 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 great that they can creatively tell that story while also being able to have really clear recordings. Because when you know, if you do just go in your car and and make a recording with you know poor equipment, it's just um, there's going to be problems with speech intelligibility. So you know, you really actually have to go to a lot of effort to have a an intelligible recording that has all of that that atmos i had actually never thought about recording in the car but yes that is a very radio lab style thing to do well they do it sometimes you know they're often like you know we're just driving to blah 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 and and they ask the host how do you feel about this and then there's that kind of sound of the car in the background yeah but it will have been woven in beautifully Mm. well I, i reckon they would have been using at least two mics in that situation that's my theory i don't know for sure but at least one very good mic. I um, saw a picture of Jad Abenrad. So he's he was the host. He's actually just um, retired. But um, his computer screen once. So this is like a, a big Mac with like there must have been 20 or 30 lines of audio with all these like teeny tiny snippets. And I was just like, oh, Okay. Okay, that's the next level. I'm at the level where I've got two lines of audio and I think I'm posh. Um. Yep. Yeah, well, you can really get into it. Um, you know, um, sometimes I just like to play around with sound and I um, I, I recorded um, a poem recently, Jabberwocky, and uh, I ended up with over like um, over 100 tracks of audio and someone listened to me and they're like, oh, how long did that take? A few days? And I was like, a month <laughs> you know but I'd, I'd gone and like you know hand recorded every single 
you know, every single recording on this thing. And um, yeah, anyway, it, you, you can really get into it. That's that's the point I'm getting at. You know, the amount of time that you spend on something can it can blow out to whatever. Yeah, and I think one of the things about audio is that it is relatively accessible at a low level. Like, oh, sorry, I don't mean a low level, but I mean an, an entry level. It is something where you can get started with really basic equipment and like level up as you decide that it's the thing that you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Get a few mics, get your mates around and, you know, tell a story. Yeah, it's a, it's a really fun thing to play around with. I So you've just obviously mentioned that you have like obviously created some things. So you're not just an engineer. Are there any other like creations that you'd like to talk about? Um, I've been working on a, um, a different poem at the moment. It's called The Homogenous Disc is Spinning. It's by my friend Jerry Keeney. And um, to create this poem, I made this sort of a pulse sound. And how? Yeah. The, <laughs> well, that was the thing I was talking about before with sine waves. So you set the frequency of, of the sine wave. And that will, um, so I set it, you know, very slow to, I think, 50 hertz or something. No, it'd have to be a bit faster than that, maybe 80 hertz. And so it's very, very low, clean sound. And then I used an oscillator to change the volume of it. So it was kind of went, and then I, um, and then I mucked around with different parameters for different parts of the poem to, to try and tell the story so I sped it up I slowed it down I slightly changed the frequency I added harmonics um, I added reverb at certain points in time and that was really fun because because the sine wave itself you know the sound was very simple but you could make these very subtle changes to I don't know uh, illustrate the action it sounds like genuinely creating something from nothing it's quite you're not even sort of starting with a recording, you're just starting with a sine wave. That's cool. Mm. Well, it's amazing what you can do with a sine wave because, you know, in the 80s they had all these synths and it sounded like like a synth, right? You know, it sounded like a tinny little keyboard and you're like, okay, that's a synth. And then I thought that synths went away, but it turns out that they just got a lot better. Um, and they use synths all the time in, in TV, but they actually sound like the instruments they're supposed to sound like now. And the way that they do that is by um, changing parameters such as the um, the volume envelope, so um, how fast the sound starts, how long it uh, will. So there's like <laughs> um, attack, decay, sustain, release. So attack is how fast it comes in, the initial sound, like a, a drum sound would come in really fast and then it would, then it would drop down pretty significantly. Um, that would be the decay and then it, Depending on the drum, it would it would sustain for a certain amount of time, and then it would um, release, which is where it where it goes to nothing. And so, if you muck around with that parameter for, with with those parameters, for example, you can really make a lot of different sounds. And then, of course, they they layer different synths together. Um, different. Well, yeah. So different sorts of sine waves. So you've got like a triangle wave or a um, or your typical sine wave or a square wave or white noise. It sort of sounds like this is everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
You don't think about like. But yeah, especially in film and television. Yeah, I don't know what I thought. Like, obviously, there's no band. Like, in a sitcom, there isn't a band. But I, I don't know. I guess I sort of thought they they pre-recorded a band and then they sort of chopped it up and then they snuck it back in there or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, a really expensive sitcom might have live musicians. I guess that's a point. Musicians are quite expensive. Yeah. Yeah, they're really expensive. Um, but your smaller reductions is just somebody on a computer. Um, I, I love this little window into things that otherwise are invisible, which is... Yeah, yeah, because you kind of overlook sound a lot of the time, don't you? Yeah, you just sort of, oh, yeah, it's there. That's, mm. um, unless you've been kind of either trained or done something that makes you, like, really pay attention to, yeah, and even then you're probably just, like, paying attention to, like, soundtracks in TV, for example, not the, all the other audio that enriches life everywhere. Mm. I mean, having been born in the 80s, I completely goggle at video chat. It reminds me of, um, did you ever watch that show Sequest DSV? I did, but I don't remember the detail. Well, they had video chat in Sequest DSV and I just thought it was the most amazing futuristic technology. I, I would just, wow, what is this video chat? And now it's just totally normal. And to my niece and nephew, you know, they've always grown up with it. And, I, you know, it's just pretty much the same for, for a phone call. I mean, how wild is it that you can just you can just call someone, you know, all the way over the other side of the world and, and the signal gets there in, what is it, milliseconds? I mean, you know, in a short enough amount of time that you can have a conversation. Like that's that's wild. That's really intense. And the thing is, we feel like we're living in the future, right? But your niece and nephew, they just take this for granted. So, like, what's going to impress them? That's, that's like, that's the bit that's going to scare us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I guess the future of sound is, um, is virtual reality. And there's some real challenges with virtual reality because... Actually, we haven't spoken about virtual reality on the show yet. This is exciting because... You know, obviously it is a significant portion of the future. Yeah. So when you're recording in a room, right, there's the direct sound, but then there's also the sound that it bounces off all of the surfaces and that tells your ear the relative position of, you know, the thing that's making the sound, right? And so when you're recording an album, often you use tricks like, panning and, and reverb to position different musicians in different spots um, and gives a bit of an illusion. And then in, in film and TV, they do things like, well, you know, they record live, but also sometimes they'll record a really dry signal. So that's a signal without very much reverb or they'll even de-reverb a signal. And then they use a computer program to put it in a particular room. So there's these like computer programs that, for example, have you know, you could put it in a in a restaurant room and you can move it around different parts of the restaurant room, which is really amazing. Um, technology. Yes, that's that's amazing. But okay, so then now you're in a computer game with your headset on moving around and to maintain the illusion, 
every sound has to bounce off of the surfaces um, as you move. Every sound that's in fact being generated as you go has to bounce off different surfaces. Far and out. That's got to be all computer generated. <laughs> so I think that's where they're going with um, with virtual reality. So I don't know. I haven't I haven't investigated it. I don't know how far along they are with this technology, but it seems like like a real challenge. <laughs> Yeah. So you might think that mixing for a cinema in, in 5.1 or, you know, is difficult, but imagine mixing for for a for an ever moving unpredictable environment. I mean, that's 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 got to be a lot of effort. I think um it, well, yes, a lot of effort, a huge amount of computing power, terrifying. But it also partially explains current VR experiences. So have you used much VR? Just once or twice. In general, at the moment, most VR experiences that I've done, you're either stationary or you have like this really limited path that you can walk on. And part of that is obviously the issue of being able to move in virtual reality. Like, because, you know, unless you've got like a little treadmill that's like lined up and all this sort of stuff, or if you've got this huge warehouse space, it's quite hard to move safely. And I sort of thought it was more a mechanic of that. But obviously, if you can, if you only allow people to move on particular tracks, then you also only need to work out the audio for those particular tracks. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess it's all sort of tricks, you know, as well. Like, like in film, they don't, you know, even if someone's on the left side of the screen, they're still panning that to the center because it's just really important that people will be able to hear the dialogue. And and also, I read once that um around the frequencies of human speech um, we have less of directional hearing and I think that might be related to the importance of just being able to to hear the words because you know like the the most amazing well you know one of the most amazing things that humans can do is communicate with each other and that's sort of our our big evolutionary trick and yeah I, I think that um, our hardware prioritizes that in certain ways that makes sense until the hardware sort of like has a bit of a blip um (laughs) and that really brings me back to what i do in radio because that's all about communication it's usually about speech um it's usually about making a clear recording so that people can can hear the speech well that's that's basically the cornerstone of what i do (laughs) yeah and then editing the recording is in such a way that um that it's clear and that it's prioritised above other, you know, other parts um, such as the background noise. Um, yeah, and then obviously in radio they're broadcasting over um, large distances uh, and that's a whole challenge in itself and they're broadcasting to people who who are listening in, in hugely different environments like, uh, you you know, somebody might be driving a truck, for example, so that's really loud. Yeah, and they use tricks like um, radio broadcasts are very compressed so that uh, anything that's, um, you know, all the all of the quiet sounds are turned up and all the loud sounds are, are turned down, so it's, it's really in a very small range. And, yeah, and that's to deal with the fact that people often listen to radio while they're driving or working or in, you know, and often in 
you know, using really poor equipment. So, yeah, that's, that's what they think about all day in radio. Are you able to talk us through what an average day at work might look like for you? Average day at work. Well, hmm, I've, I've kind of got two jobs going. So I work at a radio station. I just started there last week, which was really exciting. I mean, I've worked at many radio stations before, but it was so nice to be back in a radio station after the pandemic. It was just oh, so nice to be around people. Um, yeah, radio stations are really fun. There's always interesting people coming in. Usually people come in because, you know, they've written a book or climbed a mountain or done something like that. And then often the presenters are people who are, um, I think, partly because they're on radio, but but also the role sort of draws people who are kind of community leaders in in different ways. So say, for example, someone does a show about ping pong. Um, as a result, they probably know everyone in the ping pong community. And if you ask them about ping pong, they're actually going to make it interesting because they, you know, they're so passionate about the subject. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting place to work. So I'm, at the moment I'm working for Joy, which is a queer radio station in Melbourne. Apparently one of only four queer radio stations in the world. So that's pretty cool. Really? Yeah. Oh. I don't know how many I assumed there were, but definitely more than four globally. There's some. Oh. It's very cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, that's a really great place to work. It's in the it's in the Pride Centre in St Kilda, which is a really amazing building um, with lots of different queer organisations. And, yeah, very... Very friendly people. I really like it there so far. And mostly at the moment I've been working on ads, which, you know, has to be done, a bit of fundraising. So I just get I get given a voiceover and um, I edit it to make it clear and then, you know, add in the uh, backing music. That's I think that's going to be most of my job. So I don't know, not the most glamorous, but it's all right. It's important. I mean, also you're surrounded yeah. by cool people and that, yeah. Even even if you have to listen to the occasional lecture on ping pong, I mean, still good. And I really feel like at the end of my um, tenure at Joy, I'm going to know like every single Kylie Minogue song inside out. They're really deeply into the Kylie. I mean, not to be stereotypical, but uh. well, I, I typed in I typed Kylie into the into the computer to look at how many songs there were, and um, it was it was a pretty extensive back catalogue, and there were also um you know, little uh, spots that she'd done about how much she loved the station and how much she supported them. So I think they're, they're pretty big on Kylie at Joy. She's a, a lifelong member. I think one of the spots said she was uh, member number 285, so that's um, that's all right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's cool. And then I have another job where I um, I take on clients and I help them with their podcasts. So, so it really depends on what the different clients are after. Some of them come to me, you know, they've got a, they've made the recordings, they've got a transcript and they just want me to, you know, fit them together and clean them up. And, you know, some of them come to me, they've got an idea and they want to know how to make a podcast and we work through it from the beginning. Yeah, sometimes I help out with the recordings. That's, yeah, that's my preference because uh, it really helps if you can get the recording stage right in terms of making a quality recording in it. Also saves a lot of time in the editing process. Yeah, what else do I do for clients? 
Oh yeah, sometimes they they'll make a recording and then they want me to decide um, how to turn that into a story. So yeah, that's another aspect of the work. And then also last year I released a book about audio engineering for podcasters. You did, and it's a very cool book. Thank you. I'm sorry I only got to send it to you last night. Um, that's okay. I have read the table of contents. Oh, good. Did you like it? I love the table. It was beautiful. No, no, no. So this book, uh, which Corey's written, I will obviously include links to it. Um, But it's a very sort of like, it starts with why, of why audio engineering is important for a podcast. And, um, you know, obviously it's about respecting like your ideas, it's about respecting your listeners' time, all that sort of thing. Uh, But also then goes into some details about like actually how you can make sound sound okay on a podcast. Mm. And by details, um, you mean what, nine chapters? Yeah, that were broken into really, really nicely labelled headings. Thank you. Thank you. My editor was really on at me about the headings. And she was right. Well, you can, you can glance and get the gist. And, but it's not just about the headings, it's also about the content. <laughs> well, How long did that book take to create? I reckon about 18 months. So I started around about the beginning of the pandemic and then I was finished around, I think around about June of last year. Yeah, so it was, it was quite an extensive process. Yeah, so I had to obviously research, you know, research different topics. I mean, you know, I already know a lot about it, but um, I did research such as I tried out all the latest gear. That was super fun. Um, oh, that would have been great. It was so cool when all the boxes arrived. It was like audio engineers Christmas. Yeah, what else did I do? Oh, yeah, I tried out all the um, a whole bunch of different remote recording technologies so I could decide definitively which one was the best. Um, this one actually is what I came up with. I just happened to stumble on the right one. <laughs> I didn't actually. <laughs> it was free. Um, <laughs> In case you're curious, we are recording using Zencaster, which is like a, a cloud-based software, which means uh, we can record uh, without anyone needing to download software. No one needs to download like um, the sound files or anything, which I've had some very complicated ways of doing it through Zoom. So mm. this is the, mm. Yeah, it's very good. It's very easy. works really well. well it's only free if you're uh, recording as an MP3. <laughs> list of things really stirring wrong increases <laughs> no, it's, no it's all right yeah and so then um yeah so then I wrote the book and then it went through a technical review and then I had to you know improve a bunch of things and yeah oh and don't forget the cartoons I had to draw all the cartoons did you did you get as far as a cartoon I I saw that the, there's a very entertaining cartoon of like the ways in which people listen to things isn't great, including on their tinny phone speaker, uh, just that's like sitting on the bench. Uh, you can't see me putting it here. Sitting on the bench and, um, yes, guilty as charged. <laughs> well, I, It's a very cute cartoon. I've listened to podcasts like that myself, you know, and it's up to the, the audio engineer or the podcaster to make it clear enough so that you can listen in a really um, – not ideal environment through not ideal equipment actually when I'm editing podcasts I always play them back 
uh, through my phone so I can, I can, you know, that's the real test of fire in my mind. Yep, that seems, that seems fair. So basically the podcaster's audio handbook is about audio engineering for podcasters. Um, I've tried to make it as fun and interesting as I can. Yeah, so it's it's got like lots of pictures. I've summarised the main points with cartoons. It's also got audio files included so that you can, you know, you can listen and really like uh, learn what to listen out for. And, yeah, and I've included stories of my um, experiences, mostly in the radio broadcast industry. And, yeah, I really wanted to make it accessible. That was my real aim because I felt like, well, I feel like textbooks are boring. And very few people read textbooks cover to cover. You really have to be deeply invested in something to read a textbook cover to cover. And a lot of people in the world need to know about audio either because they're making a podcast or they have to do a whole bunch of, you know, work meetings on Zoom or, you know, it's the modern world. We actually, everyone really needs to know about, you know, basically how to use a microphone and how to make a reasonably clear recording. And so, yeah, I've, I've gone through and I've broken down that information. Um, you know, it's all in plain English, uh, hopefully easy to learn very good headings and yeah um and I've tried to make it fun so yeah and I, what I really wanted to do was make it accessible to people as well who maybe traditionally weren't um I don't know didn't feel welcome in the audio engineering space so they estimate about five percent of audio engineers are women for example and um I don't know if that's improved but anyway that's the number that's out there it feels like that's about right and yeah, I really wanted to make a, a book that I, you know, I felt like, you know, I, I put a lot of women in it to, so that people <laughs> of that persuasion uh, felt welcome. And I also, there's quite a lot of queer representation in the book as well. And I think having the, the stories in the book makes it, you know, kind of, kind of relatable, like a real person wrote it instead of, you know, some robot I don't know who writes textbooks. Um, well, no, I'm sure that the people who write textbooks are fine. I think that there's there's a format around textbooks that um, mm, I think it's like it's it's traditional in a way to write textbooks in that certain impassive voice and that's probably related to ideas of um, what would you call it, like science being purely rational and the rational being <laughs> divorced from the emotional and being divorced from everyday life. Whereas, you know, we both know that science is everyday life. You know, science is, is, is investigating everyday life and, and looking at it in great detail. And yeah, so I, I really don't feel like um, science and the everyday should be divorced. So that was kind of my, yeah, that was my idea about writing that book. That was like my vision and the and the passion that made me write it the way that I did and, and got me through the process. Yeah. And the um yeah, the outcome is is <laughs> well, as I call it, it's called the the Podcasters Audio Handbook, a technical book for creative people. So I really hope that I've managed to um live up to that subtitle. I well, obviously so far not detailed, but yes, I would say 
so far and it is definitely an enabler um, because we need for, for all these things the last thing you want to do is be like a gatekeeper you want to open gates with your content yeah yeah absolutely I mean that's kind of what you're doing with this show isn't it hopefully I like to consider myself a gate opener <laughs> come in <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, the both of us would like to see, you know, more people who are diverse um, embrace STEM careers. And it sounds like audio engineering is definitely, like, an option for a lot of people because, or like, like it should be, because it's, it's used everywhere. It's kind of fascinating and it's applied science, like... With creativity thrown in there, what's not lo- not to love? That's very cool. It is very cool. I think audio engineering's great. I just, like I said before, a little bit obsessed. <laughs> Never really get tired of it. I think I'll get tired of it when I stop learning something new every day. But that's going to be a long way. There's so much to learn about audio engineering. It really, yeah, it really keeps you on your toes. And like you say, with future tech that's coming, as tech becomes more immersive. Like it, it's not like the innovation is going to stop. No, no, there's new stuff coming out all the time. A bit hard to keep up. I know the feeling. But anyway, you just you specialize. That's that's pretty much yeah. how you do it. But yeah, obviously you don't like be like a big concert sound engineer and also like try and do poetry stuff maybe. Have you got any advice for a young person who's considering this career or any like career changes? Because it sounds like a, a career that sounds like you could career change into it. Yeah, well, it is quite versatile because I career changed into it from being a, you know, a broadcaster and a journalist. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't see why you, you couldn't go into audio engineering from from any number of careers, really. Um, so do I have any advice for people that want to become an audio engineer? I suppose my advice is not to underestimate audio engineering. Uh, it, like, you can do it reasonably well off your own bat, but if you really if you really want to be good at it, I think uh, going and getting a qualification from, you know, a really good course actually does help because there is, you know, so much detail from, you know, a number of different fields that you really need to understand to, you know, to really be good at it. Um, and then I guess the other thing is, you know, just keep at it and and just know that you're going to be learning something new every day. Is it what young high school Corey wanted to do? No. Well, obviously not because... Yeah, you went on. But was it anything to do with like sound and radio, the plan? Uh, no, when I was in high school, I wanted to be a comedian. For someone who wanted to be a comedian, you haven't been making many jokes. <laughs> well, that's why I didn't become a comedian. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, somebody taught me out of it, which was a bit of a pity, really. Anyway, it's just the way life goes, I, you know. None of my life's really gone in any kind of straight direction. Okay. So, well, you can always come back to it later. Like comedy is something that, that life experience can definitely 
add content. Um, yeah, maybe people will want to hear jokes about audio engineering. Well, I mean, the whole internet is out there. Surely there's a niche. There's a niche for an Australian <laughs> STEM careers podcast. So, you know, audio engineering lols. Hmm, that's good. Audio engineering lols. That sounds like fun. What is the coolest thing about your job? Like what what is it that you get really excited about? Um, okay. For me, the coolest thing about my job is I really like it when somebody sets me a difficult challenge and I have to figure it out because it's to me it has that same feeling of solving a puzzle. So you have a number of of tools that you use. Um and there's, you know, there's some real basics like EQ and compression, which, you know, when combined can do all sorts of amazing stuff. And I just really like the the challenge of, yeah, of um, of having a problem before you and, and having to think of a solution. And the other thing I really like is that because audio engineering is so creative, you know, you have five different audio engineers, they're going to come up with five different solutions as well. I think that's cool. Um, I've done a bit of live sound and I, yeah, I I learned off of a few different people and it seems like everyone has their own style. Some people, you know, love compressors. Some people don't use them at all. You know, this one guy who had toured with one of the famous metal bands, he was just telling me how he, he just uses EQ to, to fit every instrument into its place, which I thought, wow. I mean, I don't know, that sounds like working with one hand tied behind your back just using one of the tools, but uh, it worked for him, so, yeah. Okay, so solving problems which is and solving challenges, which is always cool, and mm-hmm. it sounds a little bit like not just learning from others but just like I can see the appeal of knowing that there's so many different ways of solving a problem and then like trying to come up with your particular way not not just not that there's some right way out there but what's the right way for you to do it that's kind of cool yeah absolutely and it's a really supportive community so um yeah people help each other out often I'll ring another audio engineer and I'll say I've got this problem and they always get a bit a little bit excited (laughs) which is cute when audio engineers get together, they just love talking shop. Oh, you know, I got this new, I got this new thing, and I got this new microphone. Everyone, oh, we're going to check it out. Somebody asked me recently, how would you, if you didn't have a laptop, how would you back up your recordings on the road? It took me about two weeks to solve the problem, and I talked to quite a few audio engineers, and and people really got into it. Um, we got there in the end. Can you share the answer? Oh yes, yeah, sure. Well, if you have an iPhone, there's a dongle that um, is a um, a portable SD card reader. So you can make a recording on your portable recorder, pull out the SD card, put it in this dongle, transfer the file onto your iPhone and then transfer it into the cloud. And then if you're using an Android phone, that already has its own SD card reader. So it's just a matter of um, taking the SD card out of your portable recorder and putting it in the Android phone and doing the same thing, uploading the file onto the cloud. Um, but in the, in that case, uh, Android takes like a micro SD, so you'd want to 
um, put a micro SD and an and an adapter into your portal recorder. So it sounds like a logical enough solution. It was just actually getting that file from, especially with the iPhone, from the <laughs> from the portal recorder onto the phone turned out to be, yeah, just a nightmare. It was just a bit of a compatibility issue. I also feel like it's cheating just a teeny tiny bit because, like, our phones basically are computers. That's true. They are computers. They're tiny computers that you bring around in your pocket. Speaking of yeah. living in the future. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, like, poking holes. I'm like, yeah, you need to up your challenge. Um, <laughs> are there, um, Why don't you solve that problem then? Well, I'm just thinking about the back in the day where people used tapes and they would have just kept mm-hmm. the tape. There was no uploading it to no. the cloud. They might have posted it somewhere, but. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. Uh, actually, people had a, a dongle that they could um, somehow screw into a telephone and they would transmit the signal over the telephone line back to the radio station. What? Okay, that to, if, for some reason that sounds way more futuristic than the dongle that goes into your iPhone. I don't know why. <laughs> okay, that's nifty. We're just used to it now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's because it's over telephone lines rather than um, like eh, the cloud. It just works. Telephone lines, that's cool. Yeah, but why does it just work? It's amazing. I mean, okay, so we're talking over – over the internet right now, right? So I'm making a sound. That's going into my microphone. Right. So it's first of all it was sound, right? When it goes into my microphone now it's electricity. Then it goes into my audio interface and it has to be turned into data, right? Then it goes onto my computer, goes into a program, goes all the way over the internet, a very long distance, right? And the internet is what reliant upon the old phone lines. Uh, so yeah, it's it's going to go over the internet to your computer, probably to your Wi-Fi router, where it's going to be sent via radio waves to your computer, and then it's going to be converted from data back into electricity back into sound all of that's happening in the space of milliseconds and it's even wilder than that because we're on starlink which means it's coming through satellites there you go it's going up into space and coming back down and i can still understand you you can understand me and it can go so quickly despite all of those conversions that we can have a conversation. I mean, you know, I just find that absolutely mind-blowing. That's sensational. And then if you go over um, Skype, um, if you make a telephone call over Skype, then you're going, you know, sound, electricity, data, and then it's going back to being sound, <laughs> and then it's being sent over the telephone lines, and then, you know, like... Like that's that's crazy. That's why there's a bit of a delay on Skype. But I mean, you, you really got to understand, you know, all those conversions. It's yeah, it's just spectacular technology. So yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it genuinely blows my mind that we can be here having this conversation. 
And then our computers are not only sending it over voice over IP, but we're making a recording at each end. I mean, I remember when, you know, you couldn't download a JPEG from the internet because it took half an hour. The first JPEG that I downloaded was of a Star Wars picture, right? And it must have been in 256 bit, but my computer was only 16 bit. And so after half an hour, it was just this disappointing like blob of pink. And now we're talking <laughs> with video in real time. Like and that's in say 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. 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 So I don't know, this is just a phone business. This is, oh, you're just, it's just the cloud. <laughs> Sorry, I've gone, I've gone a bit straight and I hope I'm not being mean. Oh, look, I'm, I'll try not to take it personally. No, I, I was being, uh, not facetious? Nope. Contrary. Contrary. A teeny tiny bit contrary <laughs> just because it's fun. Um, and I took it personally just because it's fun. Yeah, so I I don't know what to add to that. I mean, it is just like we sound like old people talking about like, oh, how amazing the world is now. But it is. It is ridiculously cool. And, you know, five years, ten years from now, could be anything. Literally could be anything. Yeah, could be anything. And, you know, the other thing I remember is that Back in the 90s, back in the 90s, um, you know, when the internet came out, people had this kind of idea that being able to communicate with people all over the world might break down some of the barriers that we were experiencing. And I don't think that's been, you know, that successful, but it has in certain spaces, I think. And I think um, independent media such as podcasting has, you know, is one of those spaces where people are, communicating across borders, sharing ideas, you know, getting to know somebody that you might never get to know before, you know, getting to experience a part of the world that you might never go to. I mean, that's, yeah, the, I don't know, the potential of that for the, I don't suppose, the betterment of the world or the, yeah, that's very huge. But also obviously it can go wrong. There's some, you know, really horrible parts of the internet. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that communication still has, it has a lot of potential to, um, I don't know, improve the world because as humans we, you know, we all live on this planet together and we all sort of need to share the planet and and work together to make it work. And if we've got communication technology, that's a tool that we can definitely use to that end. That was the most beautiful outline of what podcasts and communication could do for the world. It could bring us all together to some extent. And it's the, it's the democratization of knowledge though too, right? Like um, putting out <laughs> even even just content like this, right? There's no paywall. Or yeah. Like obviously there's levels of access to tech and things you need to have. You need to be able to have access to an internet connection and we shouldn't take that for granted. But uh yeah, I mean, haven't thought about that for a while. That's a little heartwarming thought. It is a heartwarming thought. And you can do really niche content as well. Like, you know, 
in terms of making a broadcast, there's probably not that much money in making a show just about Australian women in STEM because that, that is a little bit of a niche, in, uh, you know, interest. But you know, podcasts are cheap enough to make and cheap enough to distribute that you that you can do that and you can reach a particular audience and and serve different audiences. And because it's uh, independent media, you can say what you want, more or less. <laughs> oh, yep. Yeah. I mean, not free of consequences, but, um, you know, there certainly is a, a certain amount of freedom, especially from uh, commercial considerations. It's kind of cool. I love podcasts. You, you don't have one yourself? No, no. That is a contradiction, isn't it? I, um. Yes. I apologize. <laughs> I've got a few ideas for a podcast. I just, um, I've been very busy working. That's fair. They and they are not exactly uh, time negligible. Mm, mm, they uh, do take a bit of time. And but you know, obviously, we will support you. And if you're going to start your podcast, we'll shout it out from the rooftops of social media. Excellent. <laughs> Yeah, for now I'm pretty happy working on other people's podcasts. I'm doing a few that, are, you know, I think really have a lot of um, potential to make positive change. So, for example, um, this is a bit of a niche topic, but I work on one about miscarriages and that's a really important topic that people don't talk about enough. I think it's less niche than, uh, I don't know, they would want us to think. Well, it's a very common experience. Yeah. But, I mean, in terms of the um, amount of uh, broadcast hours dedicated to it in Australia over the last 100 years, you could probably count them on one hand, right? I would assume so, yes. So I'd say, yes, it's niche in that it hasn't really been serviced, but it's not niche in that I think there's probably a very large audience for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as a result, you know, of the podcast, there's a bit of a well. I don't know as a result of the podcast, but the podcast is is a part of of a community of people that are, um, you know, trying to improve outcomes for pregnant women, and they really actually um, have made some positive changes. There's recently been a package brought in in Queensland to help uh, women who are pregnant understand miscarriage, what the causes are, and you know, what what they consider the low hanging fruit in terms of trying to prevent it. So, I mean, that's that's the power of communication. We're servicing actually a very common story that, that nobody's talking about and as a result of talking about it, it's bringing people together and making positive change. So that's the kind of thing that I am really passionate about in my work. Maybe that's a better answer than what I said before. Yeah, I think you've stumbled upon it now, the real, the real good one. But yeah. Again, more heartwarming for you listeners. <laughs> you often get quite a bit of doom and gloom on this podcast, so it's, I'm glad you're getting some heartwarming today. It's nice. <laughs> is is there anything you wish that, like, are there any myths or misconceptions about audio that you'd kind of like to squish? Hmm. I'd like to squish the myth that it's easy. Um, uh, when I'm doing live gigs, um, my pet hate is people coming up to the desk and telling me how to do my job. 
If you ever That's get the fair. urge to to tell the audio engineer what to do, just like just don't. Um, and I think I was a bit guilty of that before I was an audio engineer. If you are another audio engineer, I think it's fair enough because you actually know what's happening. But um, yeah, probably you know, audio engineering's hard. There's lots of things to think about. There's you know. There's the equipment, there's the room, there's regulations such as you can't have it beyond a certain loudness. So if you go up to the audio engineer and tell them to turn it up, they probably can't turn it up. They want to, but they can't. Yeah, I I reckon that's that's the main the main myth. Uh, I don't know. I, I'll just say this and you can edit it out if it's no good. Um, I want to also squash the myth of the sound guy. Uh, sometimes when I'm doing live gigs, people come up to me at the desk and say, hey, where's the sound guy? <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm the sound guy. <laughs> that wouldn't get annoying at all. <laughs> and I know that it's like it's related to people not being able to like form a symbolic connection between a woman and an audio engineer and that's sort of like a deep, in a sense, evolutionary thing but just like if if you can take a second and and engage your frontal brain and think oh sometimes audio engineers <laughs> aren't men then you know you'll save yourself from a little bit of embarrassment okay there you go you've got a really good myth there not all audio engineers are men although if you took an average Maybe that's a, a fair enough thing to say. But how are we ever going to change the industry if we uh, if we just take an average? No, no, no. It doesn't start with there being more women. It starts with people accepting that there could be women working hmm. from there. Oh. Well, I feel like there's a, a lot of um, listeners who... Uh, well, yes, listeners who will have had similar experiences in different fields of people just assuming that they're not a doctor, that they're not a like the leader of something because yeah. hmm. don't have a beard. Now, this has been a delightful chat, but we at some point we do have to wrap it up. Um, yes. Have you got a shout out for us? A virtual high five for people who think. Yeah, I'd like to make a shout out to all of my audio engineering mates. Um, the ones who I can ring up when I've got a problem and are always happy to discuss the uh, the latest technical issue. Yeah, it's really it's really great being part of that community. Love it. Okay, high five to all the audio engineers who have made our world sound mm, good. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Corey. This has been absolutely delightful, entertaining and highly educational. So... Thank you for sharing. All right. Thank you for having me on the show. I really enjoy myself. And keep up the good work. Well, thank you. I'll do my best. Adjust the levels next time. Ah, excellent. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this episode, please pass it on to someone else who you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to support Avid Resets this year, that would be amazing. 
you can buy us a coffee, head to avidresearch.com.au and there'll be a link, buy me a coffee, and you can support us with a one-off little coffee payment. Thanks so much for listening. You're a legend.